0: How do you go from being a conservative Southern Baptist pastor to a progressive evangelical who actually supports full inclusion of the LGBT community into the life of the church? Well, you are about to find out, welcome to Deeply Spiritual But Rather Uncertain. (laughs) Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. I am really excited today because I got to sit down with my good friend Mark Baber from Fayetteville, Arkansas in the USA. Mark and Janie and their three boys were in South Africa as Southern Baptist missionaries when Sheila and I first arrived 30 years ago. And they, in many ways, became our American family in those early years. They moved back to the States in 1995, but not without leaving a significant impact on our family, as well as many others here in South Africa. We have kept in contact over the years and to this day feel a real connection to Mark and Janie and their family. But two things before we get into this interview. The first is, this is my first Skype interview, and there is a learning curve to this stuff. So please bear with me. But hopefully the content far outweighs my technical inadequacies. Secondly, Mark says some things that you may strongly disagree with, and that's fine. I'm not trying to change your mind on anything. I'm just trying to put the questions out there and hear how other people are dealing with the same uncertainties that many of us have. And so with that said, let's do this. I'm here this morning with my friend, Mark Baber. Welcome to the podcast. It was back in 1990. uh, My wife and I had just come to South Africa. We were looking for a church, and we visited a little Baptist church in Westville. And the pastor was gone that Sunday, and the guy that was preaching was this American guy with a very Southern accent and big round glasses because it was the 90s after all. And after the service, he and his wife stood by the door, shook hands with everybody. And we met them in that moment. And Mark's wife, Janie, immediately invited us to dinner. And that began a friendship that's lasted 30 years, over thousands of miles. And um, so it really is fantastic to have you here, part of this, this morning.
1: Well, thank you, Skip. The pleasure is really all mine.
0: So tell us, for people that don't know who you are, tell us who you are. Where do you come from? What's your background? Just give us a little bit of the story.
1: Well, obviously, Mark Baber. I'm native Arkansan. Grew up in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, I hit the lottery on being born into a wonderful family with loving parents who happened to be Southern Baptists. And so that became my culture. And I guess the start of my faith journey started actually because of the home I was born into. I'm married to Janie, uh, Janie Baver. She's a Southern Arkansas girl herself. Uh, We have three sons like you and Sheila uh Andy Barrett and Stuart. they're all three wonderful young men I could not be prouder as a dad of uh the boys they are and then seven grandchildren uh two daughter-in-laws one girlfriend and the girlfriend has a, a child that we love as well so uh the one girlfriend is not mine. It's one of my sons. <laughs> that's
0: right? good. Okay. So like that. I'm glad you <laughs> clarified that. Yes, yeah. that's yeah, good. No, I don't. i have one girlfriend. And it has to be my wife. <laughs> there you go. Okay. That's okay. good. That's good. So yeah. tell us if you were, um, I want to get back to the beginning of the journey in a minute, but if you were to um, label yourself as far as your faith journey and where you stand as a Christian Um, I'm not a big label fan, but sometimes it helps us to understand each other. So how would you label yourself now?
1: Today? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll happily answer that question. Uh, Even though there's parts of it I don't even like right now. And it's, it's a thing that's in movement. And I'm trying to find a better name. Uh, And I don't mind expanding on why this is the case, but I would label myself if I had to be labeled right now as a progressive evangelical Christian.
0: So unpack that a bit for us. What is a progressive evangelical Christian?
1: So I think, man, that that journey for me has been where and Father Richard Rohr, this is a quote I got to attribute to him He goes, the fact that we're leaning the mystery does not mean that God or ultimate reality is unknowable. It means that God is endlessly knowable. So to be on the mystery path and progressive path is just to say, man, I'm wide open to a deeper, broader, more wonderful vision of what God is like today than the one I held yesterday. And to me, that's that's the joy and the beauty, and, and that's progressive. Evangelical, I still hold on to that word because... You angel, as you know, just means good news. And I think this is good news that we're loved. I can tell you, though, that I'm about to lose the word evangelical because we don't have to go into this too deep, but the evangelical support of our current president really bothers me. It's
0: become politicized it bothers so horribly. Me. It
1: troubles me no end, it's, and it's bastardizing yeah. that word, if you will. And it's it's not we're not being able to use evangel as a good news word. It's a more politicized word. And I think that's a real tragedy. Uh, but I'm still willing to hang on to it because I think it is
0: good news. We're loved by the God that it is. That's where I wanted to start. Now let's go back. Um, because tell us about your Southern Baptist roots, how you came into ministry, because it's a, quite a journey from where you started to where you are today so but go back to the beginning and tell us about that
1: okay sure well growing up as a kid in a southern Baptist home obviously i was born into a culture in my family where everything revolved around we go to church okay it was a small little country church this was pre-mega church days there were some larger churches in the city of hot springs the 500-ish kind of church which in those days was big. I happened to go to a little country church, Lake Hamilton Baptist church, which a uh, hundred people on a good day, we were rejoicing because the kingdom that surely come if we break a hundred, you know? Uh, but man, our, our life, our family life revolved around going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every year when the revival came January, Bible study for a week, uh, Everything revolved around it. I used to say, I never saw a whole episode of Lassie which came on at like 5.30 <laughs> Sunday night because we had to be in church. I remember. and I, I never really knew if Lassie saved the day or not.
0: It's true. You you know, showing so, your age, brother.
1: And, and I have so many good fond memories uh, of growing up as a kid in a neat country church with good-hearted people, okay? Then there came a time, however, in adolescence where I, I lost interest. The peer pressure got the best of me. And, and maybe I see now looking back, I see it so much differently now looking back. For a while, I thought I was just a rebel. What I realize now is I was just a human being. Maybe wanting to ask questions and, and wanting to be loved by my peer group and, and having that wrestling massive soul where church and things of church were not that important to me. So that, uh, you know, I got in high school. And if you're a Southern Baptist in Arkansas, and probably about anywhere in the world, your understanding of what it means to be a good Christian is we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't cuss, we don't chew, and we don't go with girls that do. That's it. And obviously, as a good rebel, I tried all of those (laughs) often, you know, (laughs) and so you by doing those kind of things, you feel separated then from God and you've got this wrestling match of soul where you want to know, well, when I prayed the sinner's prayer back when I was seven, is that still hanging on today? and going to keep me out of hell or something like that. You know, so you had that wrestling match of soul about all the time while you were estranged from the church
0: and God and that sort of thing. So then how did you go from there ending up into ministry?
1: Yeah. Okay. So then I wound up in, in college and, and uh, went to a place called uh, what's now called University of Central Arkansas at the time. It was State College of Arkansas in, in Central Arkansas and uh, and practiced the party life with uh, exceeding uh, energy. So that uh, after about two and a half years, I actually flumped out of college. And uh, this was during Vietnam. And I joined the Navy uh, because I didn't like the idea of going to Vietnam as an infantry man. I didn't want to go to Vietnam and I was, uh, I wasn't really a hippie or against the war. I was against the war, but I was really against personally getting killed. Uh, that's what I was mainly against to be honest. So I joined the Navy and, uh, and and in navy life you know went to the mediterranean and uh was was really living a prodigal's life a lot of stuff i'm not really proud of skip but the emptiness of it all started to mount on me i was 21 22 and i began to realize man it's about time maybe to have some serious thoughts about life i had some guys on my ship who were a part of a group a parachurch group called the navigators similar to maybe campus crusade or youth for that you were involved with navigators and these guys were hosting bible studies on the ship and uh they were memorizing scripture and praying together and that sort of thing and uh i got interested in them they were good human beings i could see that some of these guys were were compassionate and caring and uh there was a there's a vibrance about those guys that was really attractive to me and i began to hang with them started studying the bible a little bit and then uh As a, a, you know, not so good Baptist kid, you know, I I did have a sort of an understanding of how you sort of get back in the game. We call it rededicate, you know, rededicate your life to Christ, and and I did while in the Navy, and uh, all I knew to do to express what I meant by that was to quit drinking, uh, and and so I did, and then I began the, the journey. Well then, so nearing, I was about to get out of the Navy, and it occurred to me, here i here, I'm 22, 23 years old, I've never really given one serious thought about what I might do with my life. Because uh, I'd flunked out of school, I wasn't really on a career path, I wasn't making progress academically. And, uh, so I actually began to pray about it. And I remember distinctly in, in a cargo hold on the USS Sylvania alone, kind of down three or four decks below the main deck with my Bible and prayer, you know, just saying, God, maybe what should I do with my life? And strangely to me, it occurred to me, you should be a preacher. And, uh, I didn't really like that idea, but, uh, but it came. And so I said, well, okay. And then, uh, I got out of the Navy and I thought, well, uh, if I'm going to be a minister, maybe I should train for it. And I applied for, and got accepted, uh, on probation to a Baptist university, Horstall University in Arkansas and started a, a path of, uh, ministerial studies wound up going to seminary and, and, There you go.
0: And so how long did you pastor in the Southern Baptist Church?
1: Okay, so I got out of seminary in 1979 or 80, I think it was. I started immediately. I pastored a church for four and a half years, I think it was. And then I got a job at the university where I worked as the Baptist campus minister. and I did that for four and a half years. Then while there, I got interested in overseas and cross-cultural things and uh, cross-cultural ministry and that's when we wound up in south africa after we left south africa then i became pastor again for about another eight or nine years
0: how do you go from born and bred southern baptist southern baptist seminary southern baptist pastor to a progressive, evangelical Christian. So tell me the story. What were the things that changed inside of you that okay. that forced that change in you?
1: I'll happily try to do that. Um, it, it's not a short answer, okay? It's a decades-long process, and uh, it began early on. I mean, I got out of seminary and, and the seminary I went to uh, and the university I went to gave me permission to think. We were not at that time in Southern Baptist life nearly as uh, fundamental, for back, uh, lack of a better term, or not quite as conservative as you might think in those days as they're known to be right now. And, uh, and so as soon as I got out of seminary, there was— uh, a thing that that happened in the Southern Baptist Conventions where two guys, one named Paige Patterson and another named Paul Pressler, announced through the mouth of a guy named Adrian Rogers, who was a pastor of a megachurch in Memphis, Tennessee, that they had hatched a plan to take over the Southern Baptist Convention and all of its various institutions because there was too much liberalism uh, running amok in the denomination. And I thought myself, when I heard this, I thought, wait a minute. I mean, I just came from three years in a seminary where I wasn't taught to hate the scriptures or I didn't, I didn't identify as liberal, but I, but I had learned some things, you know, about source theories in the old Testament and we, and our hermeneutic or our method of interpretation was, Historical critical interpretation, and uh, and also we'd studied in biblical backgrounds different theories of the inspiration of the scripture, and and I was not a thoroughgoing inerrantist, or or I didn't believe in the infallibility of scriptures. I thought we take the Bible seriously, but not literally, and more literarily. So I think I had some pretty good training on biblical interpretation that truly does respect the text and historical context and that sort of thing. So anyway, that kind of sets a little context. So immediately at the start of my ministry, the Southern Baptist convention is kind of in a war of the moderates. We called ourselves then versus the fundamentalist. And I was on the side of the moderates and, and if it was a war, we lost it. Okay. And, uh, the fundamentalism took over. And I don't want to say that with, with angst or meanness or, uh, because uh, there were, uh, there were some, some good human beings as a part of that, just maybe I think a tad confused. So I, I don't want to demonize anybody that was a part of that, although there have been times in my past where I certainly did, but I, I, I'm hopefully past that and more mature now. But, but at any rate, I felt my entire ministry as a Southern Baptist being paid by Southern Baptist people that I was actually out of sync with where my denomination was going,
0: from the very from uh, way at the beginning, you felt that from the very beginning, wow. I
1: felt out of sync. I'll give you some examples. Like one of the big deals then and to this very day is women cannot serve as, you know, ordained ministers. Oh, it's okay? coming
0: up again. It, it's, and it's a it's big deal again. now. Yeah, big yeah. issue this year.
1: We yes. haven't switched to LGBTQ inclusion yet. We're still trying to exclude women from the pulpit.
0: Absolutely.
1: I didn't believe I that know. then. I don't believe that now. And so actually, Skip, you may not know this, but when I was in South Africa, this was one of the reasons I did not come back is because this conservative movement was was gaining momentum and people from institutions that I love were being fired because of their quote unquote liberalism. And uh, and and I and they were gonna force the missionary force to sign a document that excluded women and had concepts about our view of the scriptures that I just didn't hold, and I couldn't hold with integrity. And I knew I couldn't sign that and uh, with any integrity, so I didn't. So I resigned the Foreign Mission Board, got a job in a local church because I was thinking, well, at least we have what we call the autonomy of the local church. You could be more free in a local church. You really can't. But, and I still, though, felt unjoyed. And I, I didn't have the courage to speak about my convictions, but I was so conflicted because, you know, I was all for ordaining women. I, I was just so disconnected from it all. And, but at the same time, I had a wife, a family, a mortgage. And so, you know, I, I, I fought the battle and, and lost. I guess, in many ways, which we can talk about how I lost the battle. I just didn't feel like I could stand with integrity on Sunday morning and speak what was going on in my life and my journey for fear of losing a job. I think, Um, let
0: me interrupt you there, because I think that is a real thing for pastors that are working through, the buzzword is deconstruction in, in their minds and what they believe and what they don't believe. Right. But their job is on the line and they've yeah. got children in school and going to college. And right. so it's a dilemma that they sit in.
1: Oh, it's a battle. And I, I, I don't say it's easy. You know, I, fa- I, I fail. I lost that battle. I don't, I don't think I handled it properly. quite honestly, I'm not proud of the way I handled it. It's easy to see in retrospect what I could have, would have, should have done. So I recognize the struggle that, that men and women face the lights start coming on for them about a, maybe a more broader perspective. And then now what, you know, if I, if I just give expression to my doubts or give expression to my uncertainty, uh, what's that going to do? These people are wanting sure thing out of me. And, uh, if I stand up and say, I don't even have a clue what I'm doing here, but I'm glad to be on this journey with you people they're probably going to tell me I need to make my living somewhere else.
0: So where did you go? How did you, how did you,
1: well, I handled it, uh, in a way I don't, I don't, uh, uh, recommend. And that is through the use and abuse of alcohol. You know, <laughs> I tried to escape through alcohol. If I could preface that with, uh, with another thing too, though, or go back and and add to that story. In, in addition to having a wrestling match of soul, of maybe seeing a larger picture and, uh, and and knowing that I was out of step with the denomination for whom I worked, I was in a church where in 1995, that's been about three years after we left South Africa, my church burned to the ground. The facilities were totally destroyed by a massive fire. And uh, so we wound up out on the street. And uh, as I reflect back on those years, it was a great two or three years while we are building a building. I loved the new model or new paradigm we had for doing church life, which wasn't really building focused and become ministry focused. But at the same time, the old traditional ways of things were I had a building committee that wanted a building and we wound up going in debt about two and a half million bucks, which I was not really too charmed about. And then we get into this building and you got a $15,000 a month payment and we're coming up short on money. And the brothers uh, in the leadership council look me in the eye and say, man, your job is to raise it, you know? And and I thought I wasn't called to raise money. I was called to preach the gospel. And so I'm conflicted again. and uh, And I didn't handle it well. So with the pressure and the stress of it all, I began drinking again, which I'd given up for many years. It went south fast. Okay. So that's a whole nother story. You know some of it, and I'll tell as much or as little as you want me to about my journey with alcoholism. Yeah.
0: So from that point, so you're still a yeah. pretty far away from a progressive okay. evangelical. So now oh, a long way. So now, yeah. what else is happening to do that?
1: Okay. So if you, if you have a problem with alcohol, sooner or later, it's going to cause problems professionally, family-wise anyway. And so I, I Thank God I didn't lose my family in the midst of that that chapter of life, but I did lose my church, and and I'm not sure about what I shouldn't have because I disrespected the mores, the traditions, the history uh, of of that congregation and that denomination, and and I want to own that completely. And, and I, to this day, I'm not against drinking. You know, I, I always say jokingly, if Jesus changed water into wine, what could be wrong with a little Bud Light, you know? <laughs> so I don't have an issue with God's people drinking alcohol in moderation. Okay, I, I didn't then, I don't now. But I knew that I served a congregation and a people that had an issue with it. And I didn't, with integrity then, I wasn't as honest and forthright as I could have been about my convictions. Even when I got the job, you know, I could have been more straightforward, but, you know, so I'm not proud of that, but it's it's the truth. I'm willing to own it. But anyway, long story short, I had an episode where I drank too much and it became public. So the church had a dilemma on their hands. I think many of them to this very day still love me that were in that congregation, but they couldn't be having a pastor with an alcohol problem. And so I resigned, wound up going to a treatment center for drug and alcohol rehab, and that happens to be like 20 years next month. So when I make it one more month, I'll celebrate 20 years of sobriety in September, and I'm, I'm confident I'm going to make it uh, because i have learned how to live one day at a time. But, Skip, that journey into 12-step living and kind of away from the church for a while sort of... I kind of lost my church and lost my church family, and I had to find spiritual family elsewhere, and I actually found it initially in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, and that opened me to a wider, non-churchy view of spirituality that I didn't even know existed, and I think it, it that put me on the path. And so I would say the short answer to the question, man, how did you get on a path that led to you calling yourself progressive evangelical, and I'd say I failed my way into it. And uh, that's why books like Father Richard's Roar's Falling Upward, Spirituality for the Two Halves of Life, so resonated with me. And I got it, you know, 10 years into the journey of uh, recovery, but I realized, whoa, this is my story. I didn't like choose this path. I failed into this path, but I'm glad I'm on it. So, I failed my way under this (laughs) journey.
0: So who have been the big influences in your thinking, in your belief systems since that time?
1: You know, in recent days, all right, Brian McLaren. There's going to be no surprise this year. Uh, Currently, my three faves are Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, and Richard Rohr and uh, see
0: some people would call you a heretic so right there a heretic. yes absolutely absolutely yes. a
1: heretic and I'm willing to live with that and I would unashamedly say so man I'm like a uh, I call myself a Roman Catholic now <laughs> you know I wasn't a Roman Catholic ever but uh man I love Richard Rohr I've had the privilege of meeting him on several occasions I've been to events in New Mexico with him and I mean I've had lunch with him one time he wouldn't be able to call my name. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to act like I'm a big deal or anything like that, but I've had the privilege of getting to know him and Rob Bell as well. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what I like about those guys. Among, in addition to their teaching is the kindness, the love, and that would be true of Brian McLaren too. I've never met a gentler, more loving, more accepting human being. And to me, all three of those men just wreak Christ to me. Uh, and then their writings are a bonus on top of that. And let me name some others, though, some women. Barbara Brown Taylor. I don't know if you're familiar with her, a former Episcopalian priest, now a teacher at a college in Georgia. Barbara Brown Taylor wrote a book called Leading Church that, uh, you know, if you're a pastor, you wouldn't want to recommend that to your congregation. (laughs) You need those people to come back and write a check next week. But truth be known, it's a wonderful story of a spiritual journey. So Barbara Brown Taylor, Joan Chittister, another Catholic uh, nun, is a tremendous writer. I'm trying to think of another woman. Rachel Held Evans, who recently died. I hadn't read any of her books, but I read some of her blogs. And uh, there are so many. I mean, I could just name voice after voice after voice, male, female. One more I want to name a black minister, female minister from New York City named Jackie Lewis. Oh, my goodness. I had the privilege to hear her uh, this summer at Richard Rohr's uh, Universal Christ event. It may have been the best and most meaningful presentation I've ever heard in my life from a black female minister in New York City. So a lot of different influences are uh, shaping who I am right now. Okay,
0: Yeah, that's great. So so what does that look like? What does spirituality look like in your life? Because obviously it's different than the Southern Baptist look of what spirituality is. So what does that look like in your life?
1: Well, on the one hand, I found a church when I moved to, I live in Fayetteville, Arkansas now home of the, uh, University of Arkansas Razorbacks, which, uh, woo pig suey, <laughs> which you're a <laughs> big a, fan. of. I'm an avid fan, uh, of all sports. But that, that point aside, we found a really neat church up here called vintage fellowship. And, uh, it's led by, uh, husband and wife pastor team who are former, not Southern Baptists, but uh, some stripe of Baptist I don't even know existed, who came out of uh, Pennsylvania or somewhere, but a extreme fundamentalist Baptist. So fundamentalist that they thought Billy Graham was going to hell, you know, that, that kind of- Wow,
0: yeah, like that, And uh,
1: yeah. they sort of went through a deconstruction, uh, not a sort of, really went through a, a deconstruction themselves and uh, and came to Arkansas and planted this church which uh, from day one, I think, or pretty much, or early on, it was a church that wanted to be on a path of full inclusivity. And what that means when we say that, and welcoming and fully inclusive is, welcoming of the LGBTQIA community. And uh, saying all are welcome here and truly mean it, meaning that they can serve, they can be in positions of leadership, uh, meaning that they are not a they, they are an us. We don't even try to distinguish. I had moved to that place in my life where I just see it that the love of God and the grace of God and and whatever we mean by that is inclusive. So the way my faith is lived out is is so much I've lost interest in trying to define what I believe or don't believe. Instead of, trying to say outcome-based prayers, I try to just be still and know, okay, which we find that in the Bible, be still and know that I am God. So meditation practices are very appealing to me, Uh, and then I learned also from the 12-step journey about being present to the current moment and uh, serenity prayer and those sort of things, and so then also I want to try to whatever faith I have express it in love for acceptance of all people everywhere in all situations.
0: So one last thing before we wrap this up, if you were sitting with a person, especially a pastor, but really anybody who was on this process of deconstruction, they were struggling with the way they've always been raised. And yet it feels like something's wrong if I deviate from that. What would you advise them? What would you say to them? Well,
1: I'll give you an answer that another guy gave to me about two weeks ago. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, named Brad Hill. I don't mind giving you his name. He, He works in Kansas City. Brad and I were talking about this very thing. He wound up getting fired from a church. He was on a mega church, big staff. He got fired, and he was telling me his story. Uh, and, and so he, we, we then were talking about how he does some life coaching now with some guys, and he has a lot of ministers coming to him with that very question, kind of the, their eyes are opening to a larger picture, a more inclusive picture, and there they are feeling trapped in a situation. He said, one of the things I put to him is this. And I think I'd do this if, if I ever had a minister come to me and say, man, help me. He goes, I, he goes, all right, I, imagine this scenario. If I could promise you that your salary would stay intact and you can keep making your mortgage and keep paying all your bills and put your kids through college, if I can promise you that that's going to be intact for five more years. Would you be different next Sunday morning when you get in the pulpit? And he goes, they've told me, yeah, I sure would. And he says, I'll tell them, what do you want to be? Do you want to be free or do you want to be a slave to this thing? And he goes, it's hard. I don't mean it's not hard, but I think on reflection, if I'd have had a trusted soul look me in the eye and say, Mark, would you prefer freedom or would you prefer slavery? What would you take? I I might've acted differently. I don't know. I can't go back and relive the past. And so I don't want to make that sound like it's an easy thing, but I think I would say to guys, look, I, I respect you. If you just can't pull the trigger now, you got to find a community of trusted souls where you can be genuine and then let this thing play out the way it will. And it could be, you might have to walk away from it and find another way to make a living. You don't want to take the path I took, which is embarrassing and painful and and devastating to wind up just getting fired and be out on the street. Things worked out, you know, for me, but I I wouldn't recommend that path. And I would encourage guys to maybe think think seriously about figuring out a way to walk away with integrity. I've been to a bunch of Rob Bell events where I meet people at the breaks and there are guys that are there that if their <laughs> church found out they were at the event, they would get fired. And I don't look at them with judgment or like you poor wretch soul or anything like that. I My heart goes out to them. I know the struggle. And so I would just say, look, man, you found me. Let's stay in touch. I'll take you as is. I won't judge you. Let's go down this road together. But the day may come. That you're probably going to have to walk away from it, because you're probably not going to change that church. And, and I'm not sure you should even try to. People, the lights have to come on for people as they come on. And it's never, I think, a uh, Damascus Road experience, except for the Paul Apostles of the world. It's for most of us a 20-year waking up.
0: That's fantastic. Listen, man, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it's
1: been all my pleasure, Skip.
0: You have been an inspiration for many people, myself included. And um, so thank you. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. All right. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for taking time out of your life to listen today. I hope this was helpful for you in some way as you work out and live in the uncertainty of your own faith. If it was, please rate and review this podcast, especially if you're listening to Apple Podcasts, which it seems that the majority of you do. Also, if this content is helpful, please share it with your friends and family that might also find it beneficial. Basically, I am unashamedly asking you to help me to promote this thing. But before I sign off, I want to leave you with a great quote from Socrates. The only true wisdom is knowing that you know nothing. Shalom.